Welcome to the Resilient Mind Podcast. In this episode, you will be listening to Shift Your Thoughts to Transform Your Life with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Get access to the Mental Mastery Program and other exclusive episodes by becoming a subscriber. Enjoy. How many people in this audience, just curious, believe in the idea that the way you think has some effect on your life? Just curious. You do. So you believe on some level that your thoughts have an effect on your life. Yes? So you think 60 to 70,000 thoughts in one day. 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts as the day before. So what is the likelihood of something happening different in your life if 90% of those thoughts, conscious or unconscious, are the same thoughts as the day before? Because the same thoughts will always lead to the same choices. The same choices will lead to the same behaviors. The same behaviors will create the same experiences. And the same experiences produce the same emotions. And those same emotions drive your very same thoughts. And your biology, your neurocircuitry, your neurochemistry, your hormones, and even your genetic expression is equal to how you think, how you act, and how you feel. And how you think, how you act, and how you feel is called your personality. And your personality creates your personal reality. That's it. So then if you want to create a new personal reality, a new life, then you're going to have to start changing your personality. How many people are with me? Come on, London, yes? You see, most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality, and it doesn't work. You literally have to become someone else. So there's a principle in neuroscience that says that nerve cells that fire together wire together. And if you keep thinking the same thoughts, making the same choices, demonstrating the same behaviors, creating the same experiences that stamp the same networks of neurons into the same patterns, all for the familiar feeling you call you, to reaffirm that identity. Over and over again, you begin to hardwire your brain into automatic programs. And by the time you're 35 years old, this is science now, 95% of who you are by the time you're 35 is a set of memorized behaviors, automatic habits, emotional reactions, beliefs, perceptions, and attitudes that function like a subconscious computer program. And the constant firing and wiring, making the brain work in the same sequences, the same patterns, and the same combinations over and over again, begins to create a very finite signature in the brain. And that finite signature, the most commonly fired, neurologically wired set of thoughts, behaviors, and emotions that's acquired through frequent repetition, is the habit of yourself. And a habit is when you've done something so many times that the body knows how to do it better than your mind. 
And so 95% of most people, they are unconscious 95% of the time. And I assert, if you're not in the present moment, you're running a program. So then, in order for you to create a new personality, the first step is you've got to think about what you've been thinking about and change it. Would you agree? Come on, London. Poke the person next to you. Come on, give him a little poke. I know that's not British, but give him a poke. You've got to become aware of your unconscious habits and behaviors and modify those. And then you have to look at those emotions that keep you anchored to the past, that you wear on your sleeve. And you have to decide if those emotions belong in your future. You see, most people trying to create a new personal reality as the same personality find out that it doesn't work because they're thinking the same thoughts, performing the same actions, living by the same emotions, but secretly expecting their life to change. But would you agree with me then? New thoughts, new information, new knowledge should lead to new choices. And new choices should lead to new behaviors. And new behaviors should create new experiences. And new experiences should produce new feelings and new emotions. And those new feelings and emotions should inspire new thoughts. And that's called evolution. But you see, the hardest part about change is not making the same choice as you did the day before. That's the hardest part. And you see, if 95% of who you are is a set of unconscious thoughts, behaviors, and emotions, then the moment you start becoming conscious of those unconscious thoughts, the more aware you are of them, the less unconscious you go. And every single person in this room, at some time in their lives, has done something great. And you know, the problem is that the brain is organized to reflect everything you know in your life. Your brain is a record of the past. It's an artifact of everything you've learned and experienced to this moment. And if feelings and emotions are the end product of past experiences, and you can remember experiences better because you remember how they feel. If you're feeling the same way every single day, doesn't that mean nothing new is happening in your life? And if those emotions are driving your thoughts, and you can't think greater than how you feel, or feelings have become the means of thinking, are you thinking in the future? Are you thinking in the past? Come on. The emotion is a record of the past, and those emotions are driving your thoughts, then you're thinking in the past. And if you told me that you believe that your thoughts have something to do with your destiny, the law still applies. But you keep creating your past over and over again. Are you with me still? Come on, is this too much for you? Take a breath.
So then, reason this with me. You keep thinking the same thoughts. You turn on a set of circuits in your brain. You have an insecure thought. You have an unworthy thought. You have a self-depreciating thought. You turn on different networks in your brain. You produce a level of mind. Another part of the brain makes a chemical that makes you feel unworthy, insecure, or self-depreciating. The moment you feel those emotions, the brain is checking in with the body. And you be, the brain begins to generate more corresponding thoughts equal to that emotional state. And all of a sudden now, it makes more chemicals for you to feel that exact same way, and then you think more corresponding thoughts equal to your feelings. And then you say, after 20 years of that, I am insecure. Because thoughts are the language of the brain. And feelings are the language of the body. And how you think and how you feel creates a state of being. And a state of being is when mind and body are working together. So whenever you say, I am anything, you are commanding your mind and body to a destiny. Now here's the problem. The redundancy of that cycle over and over again, 20 or 30 or 40 years, conditions the body to subconsciously become the mind of that emotion. And now the body is the mind. And the body, as the unconscious mind, does not know the difference between the actual experience in your life that creates the emotion and the emotion that you're fabricating by thought alone. To the body, it's exactly the same. So the body is believing it's living in the same past experience, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. The body is enslaved to the past. And if the body has become the mind of that emotion, the body literally is in the past. And you can't create a new future holding on to the emotions of the past. Are you with me still? And so then, all of you have done something great in your life. And when you decided to step outside of your comfort zone and take a risk in the unknown, the moment you made that decision, you started to feel uncomfortable. Because the moment you leave the familiar feelings and habits and step into that unknown, the body that's been conditioned to be the mind emotionally can't predict the future. It would rather hold on to its guilt than step into the unknown. It's entirely possible that you judge yourself and judge others all day long and don't even know that you do that because it's a subconscious program. Some people would rather cling to their unworthiness than take a chance and possibility. And they will argue for their limitations the entire way. But the moment you make a decision to change the way you think, to change the way you act, or change the way you feel, get ready. Because you are going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel unfamiliar. There's going to be some uncertainty, and you're not going to be able to predict your future. And the moment you make that choice from the old self to the new self, you just stepped into the river of change. 
in the body which has been conditioned to be the mind, where you said, I'm not going to complain, I'm not going to judge, I'm not going to make excuses, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. You made all those decisions in the morning. And things went really well for about three hours. But the body is craving those chemicals, just like an addict, because it's addicted to those emotions. And the body starts sending signals back up to the brain. And it's trying to unseat you, to return back to safety, to the familiar territory. And you start to hear these sub-vocalizations in your head. You start to hear these thoughts, these voices, and they say, <clears throat> why don't you start tomorrow? Tomorrow's a better day. You're really tired. This isn't going to work for you today. It's my ex-husband's fault that I'm this way. It's my mother's fault. This doesn't feel right. That's the body sending signals back to the brain. And if you respond to that thought as if it's true, that thought is going to lead to the same choice, which is going to lead to the same behavior, it's going to create the same experience, and it's going to produce the same familiar feeling called you, and you're going to say, this feels right. It feels familiar. You see, going from the old self to the new self is the neurological, is the biological, is the chemical, the hormonal genetic death of the old self. People who say to me, I'm in the river of change, I'm in the unknown, I'm in this void, I can't predict my future, I always say the same thing to them. The best way to predict your future is to create it. Not from the known, but from the unknown. What thoughts do you want to fire and wire in your brain? What behaviors could you demonstrate in one day, one lifetime? The act of rehearsing your behaviors in your mind, mentally, begins to install the neurological hardware in your brain to look like the experience has already occurred. Now the brain is no longer a record of the past. It's a map to the future. And you are priming your brain into the future. Now here's the tough part. Could you teach your body emotionally what that future will feel like before it's made manifest? You know what that means? means you can't wait for your healing to feel wholeness. You can't wait for your wealth to feel abundance. You can't wait for your success to feel empowered. You can't wait for the mystical moment to feel awe. You can't wait for your new relationship to feel love or your new job to feel gratitude. That's the old model of reality of cause and effect waiting for something outside of you to change how you feel inside of you. When you feel differently inside of you, you pay attention to whoever or whatever caused that. And that event in and of itself is called a memory. That's Newtonian physics. To wait for our environment to give us relief. But the quantum model of reality 
is about causing an effect. Which means when you feel whole, you begin to heal. When you feel empowered, you're going to be successful. When you're worthy enough, you'll feel abundant. When you are in love with life and in love with yourself, you will find an equal or it will find you. <clears throat> and when you are in awe of the moment, the mystical is going to bless you in a way that you never anticipated. And when you are in a state of gratitude, your job is on the way. That's causing an effect. And by the way, what is the emotional signature of gratitude? Don't you give thanks when you get something or you receive something? So then, what if you were to begin to give thanks or feel thanks before it manifested? Would your body as the unconscious mind believe it's in the future experience in the present moment? Because gratitude is the ultimate state of receivership. And so, we don't pray in our work to have our prayers answered. We get up as if our prayers are already answered. And it is that state of mind and body that I know that requires a clear intention and an elevated emotion. And the clear intention is an act of the mind and the brain. And an elevated emotion is when you open your heart. When you combine those two elements, you just moved from living in your past to living in your future. So then, here's the question. Can you believe in a future that you can't see or experience with your senses yet but you've thought about enough times in your mind that your brain is literally changed to look like the experience has already occurred. The latest research in neuroscience says you can change your brain just by thinking. And can you fall in love with a future potential that already exists in the quantum field? And how many potentials exist in the quantum field? Hello? A few? How about infinite? Infinite potentials in the quantum field. Can you select a new potential in the quantum field and emotionally embrace that future reality before it's made manifest to such degree that your body as the unconscious mind is believing it's living in that future reality in the present moment and you're signaling new genes and new ways to change your body to look like the experience has already occurred? That's what epigenetics says. Now reason this with me, geniuses. If there's physical evidence, physical evidence in your brain and body to look like the experience has already happened, there's evidence there physically, by thought alone. Relax, because the experience is going to find you. And it's going to come in a way that you least expect. Why?
because if you can expect it, it's nothing new. It's got to rock your world. It's got to catch you off guard, and it has to leave no doubt that what you did inside of you produced some effect outside of you. And when you correlate the changes you've made inside of you with the effect that you produced outside of you, you're going to pay attention to what you did, and you're going to do it again. And that's called human empowerment. And the experience, when it finds you, is going to surprise you because it's an unknown. And the event is going to capture all of your attention because that's what a new experience does. And the emotion that's created from that event is going to create a long-term memory. And you're going to associate what you did inside of you with what you created outside of you. And I don't care who you are or what's happened in your past, but when that moment lands in your lap, you are going to look back at your entire past and you're not going to want to change one thing about it because it brought you to that elegant present moment. And that's when the past no longer exists. All of you at some point in your life have done something great. And you got a wild idea, a vision. You asked a simple question to yourself, a frontal lobe question. The crowning achievement of the human being is the forebrain. That's the workshop. That's the creative center. That's the boss, the CEO, the symphony leader. It has connections to all other parts of the brain. And you asked yourself a question like, what would it be like to create this new job? What would it be like to go on this adventure? What would it be like to change something about myself? The moment you ask that question, the frontal lobe, like a great symphony leader, has connections to all other parts of the brain. And it begins to select different networks of neurons that's housed in the brain from something you learned intellectually or something you experienced. And it seamlessly pieces them together to fire in a new way, and you get a vision, you get an idea. That hologram that you see is a potential in the quantum field that you're selecting. It's an unknown. But the passionate person who does this the thought that they're embracing in that moment becomes the experience. And they begin to feel the joy, the excitement, the inspiration, the enthusiasm, and theos filled with God. They come out of their resting state and they feel the emotion before the event. And that emotion is giving the body a sampling of the future. And you just moved into a new state of being. And what did you do? You sat down and you wrote down all the choices you were going to make. And you reviewed them over and over again. Then you wrote down the behaviors you were going to demonstrate, the things you were going to do. And you reviewed them, committing them to your conscious mind, firing and wiring over and over again, giving yourself a direction. You wrote down your goals, the experiences you wanted to walk into. And the more you wrote those goals down, the more you felt enlivened. But then you did something really brilliant. You lit a match in a dark place. And you started to write down the thoughts 
of the old self that stood in the way. I can't, it's too hard, I'll never change. I'll never be successful. You became conscious of those unconscious thoughts and you would never let that thought slip by you unchecked in your waking day. And then you wrote down the choices you weren't going to make. And I don't care if you were losing weight or gaining weight or making muscles or stop eating certain things or changing your lifestyle. You reviewed those choices and you became so conscious those unconscious choices that you wouldn't make that unconscious choice again. And then you reviewed your habits and you decided what you were no longer going to do, whether you're going to wake up early, whether you're going to stop watching TV, whether you stop eating certain foods, doesn't matter. But you made a decision with firm intention. And the amplitude of that decision carried a level of energy that caused your body to respond to your mind. And then you reviewed the experiences you were going to stay away from. And you became very conscious of those emotions that would bring you to a lower level, drop your energy. And every day you weave the path from the old self to the new self. And you reach the point in your life, after you did it enough times, those long nights, lonely moments, stepping out into the unknown. Where you knew it was going to happen. You knew it. You just knew that everything lined up. And that's when you relaxed. You surrendered. Now it was no longer about creating the event, the experience. It was the fact that you did it. When you relax into it like that, you start loving yourself a little bit more. And the side effect of that is you start giving. You start caring. You're more present. You're less in survival. So you see, you already know how to do this. But what I want people to do is to make it a skill. And so, every single person in this room there's an intelligence that's giving you life right now. It's keeping your heart beating and digesting your food and organizing trillions of functions in every single cell of your body. It's organizing mutations in your DNA. There's some invisible force that's giving you life. But that same intelligence that's keeping your heart beating and digesting your food is the same intelligence that's creating supernovas in distant galaxies and causing flowers to bloom. It's both personal and universal. It's within you and it's all around you. And you can't see it and you can't smell it and you can't, can't taste it and you can't feel it, but it is the giver of life. And it is a consciousness. And consciousness is awareness and awareness is paying attention. And it is the observer observing you into life. And you know when I tell our advanced students, look, either you're going to be defined by a vision of the future or the memories of the past. And Scientific American last year published an article that said, in memory, 
50% of what you talk about in your past isn't even the truth. You make it up. Memory is creative. Are you listening? But I tell our advanced students, when you stop creating, it just means you're more in love with your past than you are with your future. That's all. But you know, that intelligence that's giving you life, the observer, you can develop a relationship with it. And when your will matches its will, and it has an amazing will, when your mind matches its mind, and it has an infinite mind, and when your love for life matches its love for life, it always answers the call. Because a habit is a redundant set of automatic, unconscious thoughts, behaviors, and emotions that are acquired through frequent repetition. So the habit is when your body goes on autopilot. So if you've been doing that for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, your body is already programmed into a predictable future based on what it did in the past. As a matter of fact, we could take your yesterday and lift it up and set it on tomorrow. And that's called karma. That's it. But there's no unseen hand doing it to you. You're making the same choices and the same behaviors and the same experiences to reaffirm that same emotion that you call you. Are you with me still? Am I getting too close? So then, come on, reason this with me. If you're not in the process of being defined by a vision of the future, you are left with the old circuitry and the emotions of the past, and you will be predictable in your life. And by the way, if you're so structured in that routine, if the unknown landed in your lap, you would say, excuse me, uh, can you come back tomorrow? This is going to really break up my day here. So then, finding the sweet spot of the generous present moment, I can tell you what it looks like in the heart and in the brain. I've seen it enough times and we're able to predict it when it's going to happen. Because when you are truly present, you can't run a program. And if you are doing those same things every single day and you're in that routine, the soul is watching reruns of the same television show. Wouldn't you get bored after a while? And it falls asleep on the couch. And the soul goes to sleep and the ego takes over. And you crave the familiar. And the unknown is the soul's agenda. The journey back to source and tell stories of its adventure. And you tell me if the soul is interested in the unknown and the adventure, if you're stuck on some emotion that's keeping you anchored to the past, the soul can't go to a new future. It means you have to overcome that emotion. Because the memory without the emotional charge is called wisdom. And that's the name of the game here, folks. And I don't care how wealthy you are, or how beautiful you are, or how successful you are, or how many friends you have, or how many degrees you have. If you haven't overcome that emotion, 
in one lifetime, you haven't evolved. Because that emotion is keeping you connected to the past. And it is that emotion that is signaling the same gene in the same way. Your body is a protein-producing machine. And proteins are responsible for the structure and the function of your body. And every single cell in your body, except red blood cells, makes proteins. Your immune system makes immune proteins called antibodies. Your stomach cells make stom stomach proteins called enzymes. Your skin cells make skin proteins called collagen and elastin. Your muscle cells make muscle proteins called actin and myosin. And in order for your body to make a protein, a gene has to be regulated in the cell. Are you with me? Come on, is this too much? So they used to say, you know, you're hardwired to be a certain way and you're doomed by your genes. That's a lie. We are marvels of adaptability and change. But if you're a scientist studying rats in an unchanging environment, you're not going to see many genetic changes or neurological changes. Would you agree? So then, genes are like Christmas tree lights. They're turning on and off all the time. And when they turn on, they upregulate, they make a healthy protein. And when they downregulate or turn off, they make a cheaper protein. And, you know, the central dogma in science was that genes create disease. Less than 5%, more like 1% of every person that's born with a genetic condition comes from birth. Like Tay-Sachs disease, sickle cell anemia, type 1 diabetes. The other 95 to 99% is from lifestyle and behaviors. And so, scientists that were going to map the human genome, they said, okay, there's 100,000 proteins that make up the body. So there should be 100,000 genes. There's 40,000 regulatory proteins that help make those proteins. So that's 40,000 more genes. So 100,000 plus 40,000 is 140,000 genes for every protein. When they mapped the human genome, 23,688 genes. You're 300 genes away from a chimpanzee. Some more than others, but roughly that. Because in one gene, you could have over 3,000 variations on that gene. And genes don't create disease. It's the environmental signal that signals the gene to inst instruct it and select it to make new proteins. But if you're thinking the same thoughts, making the same choices, demonstrating the same behaviors, creating the same experiences to produce the same emotions, you have the same lights on and the other lights off. And you're headed for a genetic destiny. Are you with me still? Take a group of stressed out executives. You teach them how to find the present moment. You teach them how to breathe. You teach them how to make a few different choices and to do a few different things. And you teach them how to express some suppressed emotions. And at the end of eight weeks, they regulate 1,561 new genes. Over 800 genes for growth and repair.
and just about 700 genes to downregulate inflammation and disease, turning on new lights, turning off old lights. And so then, we did an experiment in February of this year in our advanced workshop. I randomly selected 120 people, and I wanted to measure their cortisol levels, which is the stress hormone level, and I wanted to measure another chemical called IgA, immunoglobulin A, or salivary immunoglobulin A, the primary defense against bacteria and viruses in your body, better than any flu shot. And what happens is, is that when your stress hormones go up, your immune system goes down. Because as you begin to mobilize all this energy for some threat in your external environment, real or imagined, you rob the energy in your internal environment for growth and repair. So if you keep turning on the fight or flight response, you keep turning on the sympathetic nervous system, and you're mobilizing all this energy, you're drawing from this invisible field of vital energy around your body, and you're turning it into chemistry. And if you keep doing that, the field around your body shrinks. And now you are more matter and less energy, more particle and less wave. And now in your life, you are matter trying to change matter. And it's going to take time to get what you want. But as you keep diminishing your vitality, and you keep robbing from this field, the immune system begins to shut down. Because all the troops are fighting some war abroad, and there's no homeland security. And IgA levels go down. So we randomly selected 120 people. And we measured their cortisol levels. And we measured their IgA levels. Now, when you're under stress, the emotions that you feel under stress is anger, hostility, frustration, impatience, fear, anxiety, worry, guilt, shame, envy, jealousy, competition. Those are all created by the hormones of stress. And psychology says... Those are normal human states of consciousness. Those are altered states of consciousness. Because living in stress is living in survival. And stress is when your brain and body are knocked out of balance. Stress is when your brain and body are knocked out of homeostasis. Are you with me? So, I reasoned, well, what if the reverse was actually true? What if people were taught how to open their heart? And when you're frustrated, when you're impatient and you're angry, your heart beats out of rhythm. And we've measured that over and over again. The heart gets highly incoherent, and the heart has its own little brain. But when you feel gratitude and thankfulness and care and inspiration, all of a sudden, if you do it properly, your heart will start to get very orderly, very coherent, very synchronized. And so I wanted our students to sustain an elevated emotion for at least 10 minutes, two to three times a day. That's it. But what happens when you experience an elevated emotion, and we know this because we've measured it also, if you can begin to sustain an elevated emotion, this is the creative center right here. It's like dropping a pebble in water. 
And if you were able to sustain that emotional state, you were dropping pebble after pebble after pebble in a perfect rhythm. And what happens is the field around the body tends to grow. Now you are more energy and less matter, more wave and less particle. And now you begin to feel connected to something greater. And if you can feel more deeply, more richly and more completely, you're dropping a big stone and it's creating a bigger wave. And that energy is a frequency. And all frequency carries information, just like a radio wave. And your thought is the intention on that wave. And so, I had them sustain these elevated states for 10 minutes a day, twice a day or three times a day for four days. At the end of four days, their cortisol levels dropped three standard deviations, clinically significant. But their IgA levels went from about 53.5 to 87. That is scientific history right there. They epigenetically signaled new genes in new ways, and their immune system got much, much stronger. And there were a few people whose values were over 100. Ten minutes of gratitude a day could heal you. It's better than any flu shot. So then, living in stress is living in survival. And all organisms in nature can tolerate short-term stress. But human beings, we become addicted to very chemicals of stress, very hormones of stress. And we use the people and conditions and the problems in our life to reaffirm that addiction to the emotion. And we can turn on the stress response just by thought alone. Out of the infinite potentials in the quantum field that await you, when you're under stress, you will select the worst-case scenario. And you will begin to emotionally embrace that outcome in preparation for it happening. Do you know why? Because when the survival gene is activated, you prepare for the worst. Because if anything less happens, you have a better chance of surviving. And people live their lives that way. And when you get it right, you say, hey, you know how smart I am? You need to hang out with me. But what happens when you don't get it right? It's called anxiety, panic attacks, insomnia, OCD. And so then you can, you can begin to forecast some worst-case scenario in your mind. And you can turn on the stress response just by a thought alone. You could revisit some past bitter memory. And to the exclusion of everything else, make it real. And your body as the unconscious mind is believing it's living in that past experience. When you turn on the stress response and you can't turn it off, now you're headed for disease. Because no organism in nature can live in emergency mode for extended periods of time. And it is a scientific fact that the hormones of stress down-regulate genes and create disease. It's a fact. And if you can turn on the stress response just by thought alone, and those chemicals pull the trigger of the gene to create disease, that means that your thoughts 
can literally make you sick. So if your thoughts could make you sick, is it possible that your thoughts could make you well? And if those chemicals are highly addictive and you can turn on the stress response just by thought alone, you can get addicted to your own thoughts. And if you use the people and conditions in your life to reaffirm some emotional addiction, you become addicted to the life you don't even like. And then the unknown becomes a scary place because in survival, better chances of running from the unknown and facing it. So then when you draw from this vital field of energy and you turn it into chemistry and the field around your body shrinks and you are more matter and less energy, more particle, less wave, you become a materialist and you define your reality with your senses because when that stress response is turned on, your attention is on the outer environment because that's where the danger is. And our brain narrows its focus on one thing. And how many people here have been stressed and you obsess about the same thought over and over again? And that's because those chemicals are forcing you to narrow your focus on the most eminent and important thing in your life. And when you do that, and you start thinking about the problems you have and the people you need to take care of and the things you have to do and the places you have to go, each one of those people or things or places has a neurological network assigned to it. And as you shift your attention from one to the next, the brain starts to fire incoherently. And if you were to measure those brain waves, they're very disorderly. They're disintegrated. They're incoherent. And when your brain's incoherent, you're incoherent. And when your brain isn't working right, you're not working right. The amazing thing then is when you draw from that field and you are matter trying to change matter, you will always try to force the outcomes in your life. You try to control the outcomes in your life. You try to predict them because you are matter trying to affect matter. And because we live in this realm of three dimensions, we live in a realm where there's infinite space. And you experience time by moving through space. And so it takes time to get your goals achieved because you've got to drag your body from one end of the uh, uh, universe to the other to get what you want. The new house, the new car, takes time. It's three-dimensional creation. And so people spend 70% of their time living in survival. And that's what begins to downregulate genes to create disease. And when you are in survival, you will focus on three things only. Your body. Got to take care of your body. Things in your environment, people in your environment, places you have to go in your environment, and time. The body, the environment, and time. And we begin to believe that we're bodies living in an environment, living in time. And we forget that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. But in survival, it's very difficult to create because all the blood flow goes to the hindbrain with those emotions and away from the forebrain. And you're prone to react. And when those chemicals turn on, there'll always be a gap between the way things appear and the way things really are. It will alter your perception. And if you react during that chemical change, you'll always say the same thing. I should have never said that. I should have never done that. I should have never thought that. I should have never sent that email. 
because now you're acting like an amped up animal with a big memory bank. When you teach people how to no longer live in the future or live in the past, trying to predict their future, return to the familiar past, and you teach them what it means to be in the present moment, and they labor for that present moment, when they finally hit that sweet spot, something amazing happens. You get creative. Because my definition of creation is when you forget about yourself. You are so present in the moment, you're no longer a face. You're no longer a skin color. You're no longer a gender. You're no longer a sexual preference. You're no longer a diet. You're no longer a profession. You're no longer a wardrobe. You're no longer a sports car. You're no longer a name. You are nobody. No one, no thing, nowhere, in no time. And that is the moment you are pure consciousness. And that elegant moment where you are pure consciousness, that is the moment you walk through the door to the quantum field. And after looking at 4,500 brain scans, if you can teach a person instead of narrowing their focus to open their focus and focus on nothing, space, focus on energy, all of a sudden those different compartments of the brain that were once subdivided, they begin to unify, they begin to synchronize. The front of the brain starts talking to the back of the brain. The right side of the brain starts talking to the left side of the brain. And all of a sudden, the brain is going into psychic union because what sinks in the brain links in the brain. And all of a sudden, the person feels more like themselves than it had in a long time. So, we've seen this in real time in our meditations, watching it, watching people do it. And now we're able to predict it when it's going to happen. And when that person is no longer thinking and feeling in the same cycle, they're gone. They're elsewhere. They are a thought and possibility. That's the moment their consciousness merges with a greater consciousness. That's the moment the subjective consciousness merges with the objective consciousness, the field. And they begin to merge together. And when they come back, they take a piece of it with it. They become more loving. They become more giving. They become more willful. They become more conscious. <clears throat> they become more mindful. Its nature becomes their nature. Its mind becomes their mind. And when we see this happen, we can look at the, the dimensional picture of the brain. And all of a sudden, we start to see it synchronizing. The two halves are coming together. The unity of polarities, the unity of duality, is wholeness, is love. And at the exact time that brain starts going into psychic union, that energy from these centers moves right into the heart. And boom, the field around the body can go up to nine meters wide. Now they feel connected to something greater, no longer separate from possibility. They're no longer focusing on matter and objects and things. They've taken their attention off the electron and quantum physics, and they put it on the wave of possibility. That's what creation is. And once that energy hits the heart, the heart starts getting very organized. They're in love with the experience, and they want the moment to last. 
And when you see those two hemispheres come together and that psychic union, you can walk from the computer around and look at that person. And there are tears of joy rolling down their face. They feel connected to something greater. They are so whole that it is impossible for them to want. How could you want when you're whole? And I call that the natural state of being. That's who we really are. And we no longer feel separate. And the moment you step out of the way, that autonomic nervous system that's giving you life says, she's gone. Let's clean house. Because the autonomic nervous system is self-organizing. And it steps in and creates order where there's disorder. We've had people stand up that have had pain their entire life, have no pain at all. And of course, their first words are, I can't believe it. It wasn't me that did this. It's the power within me that did it. And so then finding the sweet spot of the generous present moment every single day of your life. The word meditation, the actual literal translation of the word means to become familiar with. That's what it means. So if you're becoming familiar with your unconscious thoughts and now you are so conscious of them, so familiar with them that you would never go unconscious again, you are in meditation to know thyself. If you can become aware of your automatic habits and behaviors and become so aware of what comes out of your mouth or how you act, that you are so conscious and so familiar with those states, you would never go unconscious again. And if you can observe those emotions in your meditation, where you're frustrated and impatient, and you keep settling your body back down into the present moment, and you're not letting your body be your mind any longer, sooner or later, the body, the servant, the animal, is going to surrender to a new mind. And when it does, there's a liberation of energy. And the body is no longer enslaved to the familiar past or trying to predict the future. And the absence of that emotional addiction is called joy. And there is a liberation of energy that takes place in the body, and we've measured it. And when that occurs then, now you're ready to create from a state of wholeness. And then as you begin to decide what thoughts you do want to put your attention on and you repeat them and get clear on them and you fire and wire those circuits in your brain, it's going to begin to become familiar to you. And as you begin to rehearse who you're going to be when you open your eyes and you play it over and over, you begin to install the hardware in your brain. And if you keep doing it, the hardware becomes a software program. And if you can cultivate an elevated emotion before the actual experience, you are teaching your body what that future is going to feel like in the present moment. And you're signaling new genes and new ways that make new proteins, preparing your body for the event. And if you keep practicing, cultivating those elevated emotions, it will begin to become familiar to you. So the process of change is unlearning and relearning. It's breaking the habit of the old self 
and reinventing a new self. It's pruning synaptic connections in neuroscience and sprouting new connections. It's unfiring and unwiring and refiring and rewiring. It's losing your mind and creating a new one. It's taking those emotions, body as the mind, and reconditioning the body to a new mind. It's pulling your energy out of the past and investing your energy into the future. And wouldn't you agree then, if your life is controlling how you think and feel, if your environment or your personal reality is reminding you of who you are as a personality, and the environment is that strong, and your body, which has been conditioned to be the mind emotionally, is running its programs and its habits, and you're so programmed into the predictable future because of the familiar past, because you've done it over and over again for years on end, wouldn't it be a good idea to close your eyes and eliminate the external environment? Play soft music in the background or put earplugs in so there's less sensory data coming into your brain so you can focus on your inner world. Sit your body down and don't let it get up and do things and eat and drink and feel. You say to the body, stay, stay right there, you stay. And instead of thinking about the appointments and emails and texts and phone calls you have to make or what happened yesterday, the day before, 10 years ago, you're conscious when you leave the present moment and you slip into that elegant moment the generous present moment. That's what meditation is about. To get beyond the analytical mind, change your brain waves, and fall into the operating system where those subconscious programs exist. And I'm going to say that when you truly do this, and common people that look just like you all around the world in every culture are catching on, that they are surrendering an aspect of the limited self every single day to join the greater self. And you know, we have these advanced workshops and we have 600 people or 700 people and it's, it's, we work, but it's the most gracious and fun time of people's lives because they're with a community of people that are doers. You know what? In some days, we, we start at six in the morning every morning, but in some days I call the audience at four in the morning. Why four in the morning? because they are instructed to understand about the pineal gland and they understand about its metabolites that create a lucid experience and how to begin to change those neurotransmitters into other ones. They're given a whole teaching on that and their brain chemistry is ripe at four in the morning. And I say to them, you don't come in four in the morning, that door is closing at four in the morning, but if you don't come, I'm not going to take it personally. It just means you want your sleep more than the mystical. It means you just want your comfort more than the unknown. It means you want your coffee, the familiar, more than the unfamiliar. But the students that show up, what they're saying to that intelligence within them, I don't want my coffee today. I don't want my tea. I don't want my shower. I don't want my sleep. I don't want my bed. I don't want my cell phone. I want you. You're the object of my affection and they mine for it until they make contact. And when they do, they go for the ride of their lives. And we have measured their brains when this happens. 
and they are processing amplitudes of energy that have never been recorded in the history of neuroscience. Most brain circuits fire at about 40 microvolts of energy squared. Our students are producing a million microvolts, 2.5 million microvolts, 4 million microvolts. Whatever's going on between their ears is more real than anything that's ever happened in their past. They're having a full-on sensory experience without their senses. And what would happen to you right now if your senses were amplified by 25%? Everything you were seeing, everything you were hearing, everything you were smelling, everything you were tasting, everything you were feeling. If your senses were heightened by 25%, so would your awareness. And if your awareness is amplified, so is your consciousness. And you can't have consciousness without energy. They work together, and the brain is recording high amplitudes. And if experience enriches the brain, and experience produces emotion, they are changed in a moment. Because the inner event is more real than any past external event. And the past is washed away. And that person can tell you the experience that they had, and I have to believe them. Because when we see their brains doing that, we know they can't make their brains do that. So then, in closing, great time to be alive in the world. Because in an age of information, ignorance is a choice. And that this is a time in history to not only know, but to know how. And to demonstrate all the changes you want to see in the world. I love the concept of emergence in biology. You ever see a group of fish all swimming the same way or a flock of birds all turning in one direction? If you were to study that phenomenon in biology, you would think that there was some leader that everybody was following, that it was a top-down phenomenon. Turns out, there is no leader. It's a bottom-up phenomenon. They are all one mind, and they are collectively sharing same level of consciousness. There's a stigma that you and I have that if you lead with too much passion in your life, you're going to get it in the end. Whether you're Gandhi or Martin Luther King or William Wallace or Joan of Arc or John Lennon or Abraham Lincoln, you lead with too much passion, most people get assassinated. But what if it's a time in history it's not so important to die for the truth, but to live for the truth. And what if you're working on your fear and anxiety and your neighbor's working on their anger and bitterness? And instead of looking outside ourselves, we're looking within. And that everybody begins to transmute these limited survival emotions into heartfelt, elevated emotions. And that everybody's leading. And there is a new mind a new consciousness. And there's power in numbers. You can't take out everybody now, can you? The coming of the age that you hear about, the coming of that consciousness, isn't one person. It's every person. And so retreating from your lives, just for a few minutes every day, to remind yourself of a vision of the future, and not getting up until you are that person. If you're able to maintain that modified state of mind and body your entire day, get ready 
because something unusual is going to happen in your life. That's the law. Thanks for listening. <clears throat> Thank you for tuning into this episode. Continue strengthening your mind by listening to our other episodes.